Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Inception. In the year 2002, the Donald Duck comic, The Dream of a Lifetime, was released. Eight years later, Christopher Nolan ripped it off with Inception. <laughs> The date's 2002 on that? Yeah. I thought it was like from the 40s or something. You just kind of assume that because you forget they kept making Disney comics. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I, I got a few when I, in the late 80s. Like, you know, I started getting excellent stuff. I still occasionally like, have an Archie or a, um, one of those Gladstone Disney ones in my pile. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you find inspiration where you need to. So um, today's movie, of course, is that ripoff Inception. If you want OG, you go for a... Uh, is it Scrooge McDuck or Donald Duck? It's a Donald Duck comic, but it's mostly a Scrooge McDuck story. Okay, there we go. Anyway, this is Matt. This is Luke. Welcome to our sci-fi. Sanctuary. Yes, um, we do have someone here to chat the film with us. Uh, growing up, we chatted many films together. It's actually been a while since we've spoken, uh, but the man now makes uh, some wrestling videos, and I'm actually going to leave it to you to kind of give us the, the full down on that. Uh, but Sancho oh. Velasquez is here from uh, does the Sleeper Kids World, and uh, you want to give us a little, little heads up on that because it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, Matt. I, I actually didn't know that you guys uh, knew that much. <laughs> I, uh, no, uh, we, uh, yeah, I, it's a weird thing to, to reply to somebody when they ask me what I do for a living. And it's, it's I shoot uh, female custom combat fetish videos, um, which is not something that I just tripped and fell into. It was something that I did kind of as a, uh, you know, just an experiment back in the day. And someone said, you should produce and give it a shot. And I did. And uh, much to my surprise, it started selling. And now, I'm able to pay rent, so that's good. Yeah, what, your last job with Mars Music was it? Mm. <laughs> My last, oh yeah, no, that was one of the last jobs. The, the job I had prior to that was the one where I, I think I would have just probably thrown myself out of a window, uh, um, which is, uh, I guess that makes an allusion to the movie we're about to talk about. But, um, but no, it, it was, uh, I, I kid you not, it was a diabetic medical insurance company. I mean, it, it, it sounds just as exciting as it actually was, so. What? Oh, Detective Pikachu, where they, like, that's like the job where they spell <laughs> oh, yeah, out yeah. that your youth is gone. Oh, Detective Pikachu, Fargo, any film where they want to show you that the main character is boring, they make them work in insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. But uh, this is a much better job, and, and I'm having a great time with it, even okay. though I haven't been able to produce because of uh, the American, uh, well, no, no, the worldwide virus, and of course, you know, all the stuff going on with, with curfew. Yeah, we're just rolling through the eye of the needle here in Japan, so <laughs> good for I the I know, <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
But yeah, um, Inception, I, it actually was the first film I saw in the theater when I came back to Japan in 2010. And I just remember it was a real like just, you know, mortar firing thunderstorm of a night. So coming in completely soaked, sitting down and then watching the first few scenes of Inception was kind of a trip <laughs> with all that water. It's pretty wild to me that this film is 10 years old, almost to the day. And uh, yeah, coming out of the film originally, my actual complaint, not complaint, I, I did like it seeing it the first time, but I was like, oh, it wasn't trippy enough. It should have been like dream trippier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our friend Rob suggested a film to me called Paprika, which is an anime, uh, kind of a similar concept where they enter each other's dreams. He sold it to me as like Inception totally rips off this film. I don't think it does. They're pretty different. But that film does give you dreams colorful weird psychedelic whereas this film it has a bit of weirdness but they're very mundane dreams they're dreaming about basically the real world <laughs> right you fold it in a little bit yeah yeah and that's that's kind of the problem i had with it but also uh, i think it came out shortly was it after the matrix about 10 years so, after yeah so oh, oh god 10 years that was not shortly at all but no i i went into it thinking of that going like you know they were going to do a thing where you could dream up anything and it would happen. You know, like if you wanted, if you suddenly wanted to be surrounded by, you know, 16 walls protecting you, they would just appear. And, uh, and it ended up being a lot more grounded than that. But yeah. What, Matt, I haven't seen this and I think you were not the biggest fan, but is that a bit more like what Sucker Punch did? I didn't make it through Sucker Punch. I, okay. I started watching Sucker Punch. Okay. I didn't finish <laughs> Sucker Punch. <laughs> Oh, man. That's Sucker Punch. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even hate Zack Snyder, but I do hate Sucker Punch. <laughs> <laughs> Sucker Punch's problem is you don't care about the characters because it's established at the very beginning that, that pretty much everything you're going to see is fantasy. So there's no bearing. Like, if you die, it just, there was no, there was no, uh, there were no stakes, I think. And that's why I kind of fell out of it. Maybe that's where Inception works a little better. It literally spends the first half of the movie setting down all the ground rules, right, right, giving you right. all the exposition. So after that point, you, you just run off. Also, yeah, and they, yeah, they they tell you that if you die in well, I don't want to spoil too far ahead, but like they uh, they do say like if you die in the dream that you will basically become lobotomized, which raises the stakes. Don't don't worry about spoilers or anything. We'll do like a quick plot summary in a minute, and then we'll just talk about oh, gotcha. the whole film. Everything's fair game after that. I don't know. Maybe now we shouldn't spoil, but it, it doesn't matter. It, I don't think anyone's <laughs> coming into this, and they haven't seen Inception. Well, it, it's basically <laughs> the the brainy um, blockbuster of the 2010s, I guess. That or Interstellar, which is the same director anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But well, um, yeah. I guess I guess we should mention this is the start of our Nolan month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tenet, we think, is coming out in July. So we'd like to go see it and give you a rundown of that. But we want to get to some other Nolan. So we're, we're doing this. We're doing Interstellar. Um, you know, we don't know if we're going Prestige or Batman for the moment, although we will get to all of those eventually. Yeah, we're hoping to have some uh, guests for the Prestige. But if that doesn't happen, I guess we'll just do a Batman. Because those are good, too. <laughs> um, Luke, your first viewing, how'd that roll down? Um, I... It was just, it was the big film, and I went and saw it with my then-girlfriend and her brothers, I think. Mm. Um, I definitely, I liked it. I don't remember being, like, blown away. It's a film that's had to sort of sit with me for a while for me to think, like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty good film. But it was never like, oh, I fucking love this film at any point in that one. 
Yeah, I do think it was the Blu-ray when, when I sat down, I was like, whoa, this is good. <laughs> and and the, again, the theater, I was like, ah, I want more trippy dream. I wanted a David Lynch film, like action film, I think. I also think I do really like the ending of this film. So I think maybe it was a film where the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And then the ending, I was like, whoa, that's a good ending. So then when I rewatched it with it in my head that I like this film, I liked it a lot more. Hmm. I actually really liked it in the theater. I, I went uh, the I went the next week because I wanted to show it to my brother, who I always bounce ideas off of. And I, I think you're right. It was that ending that made you go like, I need to kind of watch it again and see what I missed. Mm. Um, it had it had that uh, kind of memento style, you know, where you go, you just watch it a second time and you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see this and I kind of see that. But uh, no, I genuinely liked it. I saw it again today because I wanted to wait till today to right before the podcast uh to, to give it another shot and i i really actually it, it it aged pretty pretty well yeah i watched it last night which might have been the first time in several years and yeah it's it's very good film i think every nolan film benefits from at least two viewings mm. does dunkirk uh well oh, every God. nolan yeah. sci-fi <laughs> okay every sci-fi sure <laughs> it does, dunkirk you just watch one feel bummed out and then <laughs> You can't, you can't really argue it's a well-made film, but I've never wanted to watch Dunkirk again. Yeah, I, I watched it like once <laughs> in like a proper IMAX theater. I got the experience I was meant to. I'm like, okay, I'm done. You only want to go to war once. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luke, are you going to run down the plot of this one for us today? I am indeed. Let's go deeper. Next level. Peppering up the ether, infusing now up the spirit glass. Frankincense waning as angel's hair, infusing drafts of the newborn air. Raising out of, locking down on, turning away from, walking out of. Dominic Cobb is a thief of the mind. He enters the dreams of powerful people to steal their secrets. All he wants is to return home to his kids, but alas, he can't. Because if he enters the USA, he'll be arrested for the murder of his wife. When a job on energy magnate Saito fails, it turns out it was an audition. Saito wants Cobb to do a job on his number one rival, Fisher. Not an extraction, but an inception. They have to plant the idea that he should break up his father's company. Everyone says it's impossible, but Cobb knows it is possible. So he puts together a team. The sensible one, Arthur. The cool one, Eames. The nerd, Yusuf. The newcomer, Ariadne. As the team puts together an elaborate scheme to take Fisher into a dream within a dream within a dream, Ariadne learns that Cobb's psychic projection of his dead wife is becoming more and more dangerous in the dream world. They pull off the job, despite multiple complications. Ariadne learns that Cobb's previous experience with Inception was accidentally convincing his wife to kill herself, and Cobb returns to his kids. Or is it a dream? Watch my four-hour analysis of the physics of spinning tops on YouTube for the answers, because that's what film criticism is now, and subtlety is dead. So this is a film where like kind of the fam fury, fam fury stuck in my head. 
the fan theory. <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea, like that, everyone on Cobb's crew is like a different role in the filmmaking process. Right. I've heard that one a lot. That, that's kind of why I suggested this one, Santiago, because he, you know, has, uh, you know, people, different crew people on a regular basis doing a professional thing. So, well, um, you've mentioned how it doesn't feel that much like what your dream feels like. Um, and a lot of people have brought up, it actually makes way more sense if you think of it all in terms of filmmaking yeah. rather than in terms of dreams. Because like the big thing with the paradox is that's not really a thing in dreams. That's a thing. That's a camera trick. Mm. It's a film thing. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kept, that's the, one of the things I looked at the movie for when I came. I think uh, uh, Matthew made uh, the allusion to David Lynch, but I kept on thinking of like someone like Michel Gondry, uh, like that. When you see, you know, some of his stuff, that feels more of like a dream where things are just kind of random and, and they, they kind of make sense, but mostly don't. Although I think it's worth pointing out that we're three pretty weird guys. Um, <laughs> I think for most people, their dreams are just like they go to the office, they've forgotten their paperwork, and it's just a real world and it's boring and shit. So Mine those two. Yeah, exactly, right? We, I have dreams where I get to work and it's like, whoops, I forgot to wear clothes. <laughs> can, can I sneak to my bag and get my pants without any children seeing my dick? <laughs> And then you spin the top and it just keeps spinning and you're like, okay, we're good. It's more like a meat spin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I go for the jump method myself. I'm, I'm pretty sure Lucas is me jumping randomly sometimes. Yeah, trying to get... I still haven't really done any lucid dreaming, <laughs> which you keep, you keep recommending to me. So I will give it a go at some point. I'm, this is like a twice a year, three times of unlucky occurrence for me. Uh, if I can ever become like a you know, Tibetan dream master and do it every night, that's cool. But <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually had a lucid dream. Um, I, there's a few that you remember very clearly, but nothing where you can... I, I'm assuming with lucidity comes the ability to control the dream, stuff like that. Like that. The, the last yeah. time I had one, I realized it was a dream. And I was, it wasn't Luke, but it was a couple other of our coworkers. And I, we were walking, it's like an intersection. Like, hey, look at this. And I jump in the sky and just like hang there. <laughs> and then I taught them how to do it and then flew around for a bit. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, I made a point of messaging you this morning, so I wouldn't forget this. I dreamed that I was on the Enterprise last night. I've had those dreams. Uh, what was yours? Uh, we were, <laughs> we were going to have an encounter with two enemy ships. and. I came up with a plan to how to defeat them and didn't want to admit to everyone that I got it from Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Which uh, one oh, Enterprise? man. <laughs> D, Enterprise D. Oh, okay. So I told them, oh, I was reading Admiral Kirk's... Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the thing you write? Log. No, what, you write at the end of like, your career like a book. Oh, um, autobiography. No, but there's like... Memoir. Memoir. I was reading Kirk's memoir. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, basically just like, oh, let's just sneak up on them from above and dive bomb them. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> but um, I, I, I wanted to just throw that metaphor out straight up because to me that fan theory actually just in my head totally ties in with the movie. But uh, why don't we talk a bit about the actors? Um, Was this the start of the like DiCaprio renaissance? He had been in Shutter Island before this and another Scorsese or two. Oh, yeah, I guess The Departed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess The Departed was the start of him. If I was like Shutter Island the first one I thought. <laughs> I like Shutter Island, that's why. <laughs> Both of those films, my only takeaway is the Boston accent. Right. I'm a federal marshal. <laughs> Duly appointed federal marshal. God, it's weird to think that, that, uh, that The Departed came out that long ago. It feels like it wasn't that, that far back. 
Yeah, fair. Well, Jack Nicholson hasn't shown his face for quite a while. <laughs> I mean, just ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Last time I see him, he was eating a pizza on a boat. It was like for the National Enquirer. It's a really bad picture, so I don't blame him. I'm on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. He did just like quietly and with dignity retire. Not many of right, them yeah, do he, that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Really? He, he did the. Uh, it's called pulling a Sean Connery. I think. I was about to bring up Connery. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> Except his was what I made. I just made such a shit film. I'm just giving up. <laughs> right. And I don't think Jack Nicholson. He made a good film and gave up. I guess. But yeah, clearly our head. Yeah. Uh, he, maybe he did it deliberately to avoid doing the Connery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when they do Jokerverse in a few years, he'll come back for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that a thing? Uh, not yet, but it will be. Okay. <laughs> but that means we get Jared Leto's Joker, too. Yay! <laughs> um, but this definitely was the start of the Hardy Renaissance. Yeah, so I'll say, is this the first Hardy we've gotten on this podcast? Maybe. We've definitely talked about him a lot, but I don't think he's actually been in any of the films. We've yeah, I, I regularly make Luke do a terrible Bane impression. <laughs> <laughs> Well, his first big film was what Bronson. That was the the big the big hit. Because that was two thousand. That was like that was right before. That was October two thousand nine. So that that was like yeah a year before Inception. Well, I mean, his first big film was Nemesis, <laughs> <laughs> but that killed his. Oh, career. was it? Yes. He's the he's the um the genetic clone of uh, Captain Picard. Oh, I remember. Okay, wow. It's wow. a terrible movie. He's good in it. <laughs> But the movie is not. So, yeah, Bronson would have been like one of the first ones of him really being on the, on the All movie. All right, so what, what critically acclaimed is, the, I would say, yes. Bronson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then he was in, like, three Nolan films in a row after this. He became, like, his go-to guy. Yeah, I wanted to rename uh, Dunkirk Bane of the Skies. Because <laughs> he's got the mask on the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first one we're doing where he's actually in it. We've just brought him up a lot. Because we've done Star Trek, we've done Batman, and we've done Mad Max, right? So we've done Hardy adjacent films. And have we mentioned that you sometimes Bane at work now? Well, you'll have to wear a mask every day, so I just kind of look like Bane now. <laughs> <laughs> or with the black mask, the white one yeah. doesn't do it. <laughs> well, I wear, when I wear the black mask, I deliberately wear my black sweater vest over a white shirt and walk around doing Bane voices. <laughs> Kids don't get it, but it amuses me. Santiago does high was... Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just saying it was interesting to to watch a film uh, where I can understand what he was saying because I was just, you know, I think I had just watched him in, um, oh, God, what was it? The 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 one where he's uh, like part of the Irish mob. I forgot what it was. It was it was a it was a it was a TV show. But oh, I couldn't understand. a couple of the guys at work are super into that. Um, yeah. Same guy. I think it was uh, the same guy who was also in this. Uh, oh, Lillian yeah. Murphy, yeah. Murphy as well. Yeah. Uh, Cillian Murphy, sorry. And it's um, Peaky, Blinders. Peaky Blinders, yeah. And then, of course, you have Bane, and then um, there was another one. I think it was Mad Max, where I just couldn't understand what the hell he was saying. And, so um, it was nice to hear him, you know, actually enunciate. That was He uh, called nice someone darling. <laughs> oh, darling. <laughs> I love that. No, I was going to say, uh, we, we have our low-rent cosplay out here, but I know Santiago here has done some very high-rent cosplay. <laughs> oh, God. Have you done Nolan yeah. cosplay? <laughs> No, I just uh, the the best one I ever did is I pulled off a Deadpool with my wife, and and she did a Lady Deadpool, and that was a big hit. But no, I have not done Nolan. I need to give that a shot. 
Bane mask. <laughs> it's <laughs> if, pretty if you easy. Have to get, yeah. You have to get very ripped. But <laughs> if you turn up in a Bane costume, but you're not like absolutely shredded, then it just looks a bit lame. You would look like the before Bane. Yeah, I right. think like the, doesn't he? Doesn't isn't there a thing that he ingests or he inhales that makes him huge? Yeah, you know the the comics and especially in the um, the Batman and Robin <laughs> Batman one, and Robin he gets deflated at the end. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just a balloon to pop. Um, this is also one of the few Hardy roles where you can see his whole face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. We've already mentioned Cillian Murphy. I guess he's next on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's also, another Nolan guy, yeah. Yes, he's a Nolan boy. Um, I, I guess 28 Days Later is his first popping on the scene. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, I teach a high school kid who looks just like a Japanese Cillian Murphy. <laughs> But uh, I mean, I guess he, he's okay. But he does—he just kind of plays the same guy in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's a blank slate here, but he kind of needs to because uh, if he had like a strong personality, it'd be even harder to accept him. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else? Oh, I just kept writing Shadow Cat, and well, then we've also, um, we've also got okay. Yeah, we can do her first, Ellen Page. Yes. Yeah, she's okay in this. She does kind of. She's they just there to be the one they give exposition to. I guess she is supposed to be the end, the the access point, the person we're supposed to identify with. Yeah. So, because everyone else is already yeah this. deep into the dream stuff, but uh, she's you know really new to it, with some you know notable skills behind her. But yeah, what I was guess... the first movie she did where she uh, she was like she baited like a pedophile and then ends up killing him. I forgot, but she was fantastic in that. Um, I'm actually not that familiar with Ellen Page's filmography outside of the geek shit she's been in. So, say she's in X Men and this. Was she in Super? Uh, yeah, she's in Super. Yeah, she was okay. the sidekick. Yeah. And of course, like you say, she's Shadow Cat in the X Men films. Oh, okay. Just a little bit Shadow Cat. She's not in it that much. <laughs> and then she's also in um, one of the David, David Cage video games. He does crap, choose your own adventure things, basically. Oh. But. Um, completely without her knowledge he completely modeled her naked in the game and put a shower scene in there where you can see her tits oh so classy jesus christ (laughs) uh no but if if anybody wants to watch her first uh, one of her first films is called uh, hard candy and it's it's actually i have heard of that yeah and that was one of the things where she felt like it felt like she was very underused in this film like they didn't really give her a whole lot of uh, space to emote or or anything like that but uh, she's she's great it's weird that she is kind of the like audience standard character and yet she never feels like the main character so she kind of for quite a while she she doesn't show up for quite a while she's not like the hero at any point so she kind of feels like she doesn't have enough character to be a character and she doesn't have enough focus point to be like the main like viewpoint character so what is she (laughs) she's just there to be talked to yeah, she was like the Doctor Who companion, exposition girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But uh, again, I think that this film basically—I mean, it's so over expositiony in the first half, just so right. it can go on this mad caper in the second half without any explanations, uh, particularly necessary. But I guess while we're talking about her, and while this is our first film of Nolan month, um, man, Christopher Nolan likes to kill wives. Oh yeah, <laughs> Marion Cotillard. Am I saying yes. it right? And okay, that is the name. That's that saying it right. <laughs> um, I guess she's she wasn't quite a. What was she a list when she's, this came out? She is French a list. 
Okay. And she'd won an Oscar. Yeah. But she hasn't done much, like, big English language stuff. Okay. I know she's in Contagion, too. She's quite good in there. Okay. That, which you keep trying to get me to do an episode on, and I'm like, no, man. I'm baiting you. <laughs> <laughs> Now's the time for the Contagion episode. And didn't she play uh, Talia Al Ghul as well? Yes, she did. Okay. I thought so. I think that's a sign of a good director. They have like their little little cadre of uh, folks that come in because uh, uh, we also have Michael Caine. Michael yep. Caine. Yes, everyone knows how to say his name in his accent now. And um, Third Rock from the Sun lad, whose name I'll give you in one second. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's the one. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, he was I, Robin. <laughs> my my wife tells me I look like the Hispanic version of him, which I, I don't see. But uh, oh, okay. he's, uh, he's actually he's actually pretty good. I actually a lot of people have given him a lot of flack because for a while there he was kind of like the it boy. But he's uh, I thought he was pretty good in this. He gets to be the the badass. There's the idea of the um the the actors that are too handsome, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really, you know, when they're too. Uh, another one would be um, younger Jude Law. Yeah, 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 he's too handsome, man. You can't, you can't really. Well, identify. It's, it's, it's very specifically like that youthful, pretty boy handsome, right? He's not like because the other one we bring up is um, who played Two Face? Oh, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, he's he's too handsome, but in that square jawed Hollywood handsome. Mm. Whereas Joseph Gordon Levitt's is that youthful, like boy teen crush handsome. Right, which fits. But DiCaprio movie. out, DiCaprio kind of outlived his that like in such a way because i mean when you see him now you don't see him as like a heartthrob you see him as just like oh he's actually becoming a serious actor right but it took it took him a long while right between like titanic and the yeah Departed. yeah when i and saw him in between um, the departed and him actually getting his oscars like another 10 years what was it what's upon a time in hollywood i i didn't even recognize him uh during the his big speech i was just like i kind of forgot he, he that was leo so it was uh i feel that that's you know pretty good for him i mm -hmm. good on him well, I know, at least for Santiago myself, we hated him in high school, right? Because all the girls oh, were, were having yeah. his lock in their locker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Even when I went to go see uh, Baz Luhrmann's Was It Romeo and Juliet, we were like, it was a great film, except for the fact that he was in it. But uh, I'm glad that, you know, he kept at it. We definitely pretty boy hated him back in the day. But yeah, once he hooked up with Scorsese and started making like fantastic films. Right. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah just like by pure stubbornness refused to be like kicked out i guess the one other actor then we got is ken watanabe right all right i did find it fun when he kept referring to himself becoming a young man again like dude you're not yeah, that young, he, he was that young. <laughs> <laughs> we were young men together like ah, oh, we were the same age where we can <laughs> you're a uh, lower middle age and upper middle age men together <laughs> What was his breakout role? Was it uh, was it Last Samurai? Was that? I guess that was what moved him to the West. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in Japan. He is uh, he's been tons of films. He's he's TV talent. Although in his case, he has talent. So cool. They'll just have people on like panel shows, and that's what they do. They just show up on panel shows. <laughs> But for the for the West, he's just the he is the guy you bring in when you need a Japanese character. Yeah, we were talking a few weeks ago, Detective Pikachu. It's like, well, he's there well, just for the that and Godzilla. Yeah. The two big, like, Japanese properties getting American films at the moment. Chuck Ken in there to legitimize it. <laughs> But then also Batman Dude, he, Begins. He was, like, the fake yes. Razzago. Mm. 
Oh, right, right, right. And he did he did steal Godzilla with just those three words where he said, what was it, let them let fight. Let them fight, yes. <laughs> yeah, Luke here's a, a massive uh, Godzilla fan. I'm, I'm actually sitting next to four separate Godzillas. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this one Godzilla? No, but it's the Monster from Monster Hunter, which is based on Godzilla, so oh, okay, that's why he gets go. to sit on the Godzilla shelf. Okay, three Godzillas and a Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention he also voices a transformer. <laughs> Which one? Oh, what, what's an abedas? Yeah. Oh, in Bumblebee. No, no, in four and five. Oh, okay. So I think I made like, the one that does haikus. I, yeah, last night in Bumblebee in particular, I think I have kind of right because yeah. I've only seen them both once. So how are those last? Because those those are the ones that I didn't see. The last two Transformers at at that point, I was oh, the two my, um the, the, the two, last two that came out. Yeah. The Marky Mark ones. Yeah, yeah, there was Marky Mark, and then there was the one where it was the non-Megan Fox one. Right, yeah, there's there's two Marky Mark ones, and then there's Bumblebee, which is like kind of a sort of separate continuity. Um, so the two Marky Mark ones, if you like good films, they're not good. <laughs> but if you just want to see like the most batshit insane stuff, I fucking love them. <laughs> and then Bumblebee is like, if you're like a normie, it's good. But for me, it didn't have anywhere near enough carnage. <laughs> It kind of rolled. yeah. That's the that's that's the one that I actually enjoyed watching with like my my family because my my parents are old school like Hispanic and uh, they can't track that much movement anymore. Right. So when you try to show them Michael Bay film, they're just like, I I think I had a stroke. Yeah, yeah. If you show them the last night, their their brains are gonna explode. In the last night, Cybertron comes down to Earth and plugs into Stonehenge. <laughs> oh Jesus H Christ! <laughs> okay, I'm rolling tape here. Um. Well, I guess we'll talk about Cobb a little bit. It's his movie. It might all be his dream. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned just now, like, the whole Nolan Wives thing. This is probably the one that does it best. Yes. Like, because it is very key to the plot. Mm. And it's an interesting concept, the way he accidentally made his wife kill herself. Yeah, we're really not seeing much of her in this movie. We're oh, just seeing his just, dreams about her, It's yeah. the projection of her, yes. I do like the fact that they kind of make her the for a split second. She is the agent Smith of the movie where she's just like, she, you know, she shows up and, and kind of is a badass. And then Ellen page is standing there being held by the subconscious. She just comes out with a knife and stabs her. And I was just like, Oh, she's going to be like the, the bad guy. She's going to be like this kind of cool, evil uh, a woman. And no, then they kind of, uh, you know, shifted over to the romantic angle. But she still is each time she shows up in like one of yeah. the missions. Like the danger, <laughs> it is like the oh shit, she's here now we're screwed sort of character. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's had a crazy ex girlfriend, it 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 triggers them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or like most dudes who've had a perfectly normal girlfriend, but the version in their head is crazy, <laughs> which is what's actually happening here. <laughs> it is the equivalent of your ex girlfriend walking into a, a bar that you're at with your new girlfriend. That's that's how I felt every time I saw her come in. I was like, holy shit, she's here. Yeah, and that's that's doubly like concerning when you know that you killed her. Yeah. Giving her full credit, though. I mean, you stab someone in a dream; it's not murder usually. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she only exists in the dream world. So, is it murder for her? 
well, the she Adriana is that the name? Ariadne. 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 Wow, I didn't. Oh, oh Ariadne is the back. character who gives Theseus the string in um, the the labyrinth where he fights the cow man. Oh, the no, Minotaur. Minotaur, right, right. <laughs> the cow um, man. <laughs> and I don't even know that from researching this film. I know that from researching the Pokemon who's named after that character. <laughs> <laughs> so is it where, where are we going you you talked about your four-hour youtube video that doesn't exist but oh they exist not mine no, no, yours they... doesn't exist <laughs> they exist i know that <laughs> uh where do y'all fall on that so my secret theory is that this whole film exists because christopher nolan thought to himself can i make a film where the ending is it's all a dream and people praise me for it <laughs> like his little challenge to himself <laughs> I, but yeah the the reason i slag off those youtube videos is because the point of that ending is it doesn't matter either way yeah it's like what Larry he's with his kids else. and he's happy you if know. he's if he's still on that plane sub, like, unconscious so <laughs> exactly it's it's your experience uh, that you're having um i mean again everything's maya in the end if you want to go with uh, the more the more eastern tinged philosophy so you know. the, the real world is just a dream that we happen to all agree on. <laughs> the, the, the most real world, you wouldn't have a thought because you'd be everything. Very true. I, I actually, uh, the thing that took me away from, because when I first saw it in the theaters, I, I you see the, the, what do they call it? The little spin, uh, what, the, the, the totem, what's it called? It's a, I almost called it a dreidel. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say dreidel. Uh, the Beyblade. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was the, the spinning top. Uh, you know, when he spins it in the dream, when you know it's definitely a dream, it stays very, like, upright. It doesn't even it doesn't even falter. Whereas at the end, you do see it at the very end start to twitch and, and kind of shake, and, and it's about to fall. So for the longest time, I thought, oh, okay, it's, you know, it's not a dream. Uh, but then I saw, saw it today, and when he sees the kids – they're the same age that he that it was earlier and when you hear him talk to his daughter she sounds like she's at least 10 or 11 years old you know so it's like well how come the kids haven't aged you know we, we're you never know, really told how long he's been on the run it could just be like six months <clears throat> i get okay uh, just yeah the maybe. daughter's voice does sound a bit older than the actress looks but yeah i think that was my last note kids forgot to age is that a bad sign but yeah if they made the kids <laughs> if they had made the kids like clearly older that would give it away too much the other way, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it it looks like Mike O'Kane uh, kind of he he had a theory. Well, he didn't have a theory. He said that he was confused by the script, and that uh, he was like he, he told Nolan he's like I don't know which which parts of these is a dream, you know, which parts are a reality. And Nolan said anything that any scene that you're in is real. And that's what kind of solved it for a lot of people because like at the end you see Michael Caine's there, and so that. You know, according to a lot of people, that pretty much, you know, tells the world that, yeah, it is real. But I like your idea where it's like, who cares? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't make – anytime you make an ambiguous ending like that, there, you, there's not meant to be a right – end, a correct answer. Mm-hmm. Like, but, that's, yeah, that's the culture these days is, oh, the, the Easter eggs and the pointing the answers and fan theories and stuff. But I like it as just an ambiguous ending. Um, there's a movie, The Holy Mountain, which I'm going to spoil. Does anyone care? No. Listeners care. out there, do you care? Anyway, it's, it's this thing. Um, it's like the, the richest people in the world get together and throw all their riches into the fire and join an alchemist to alchemize themselves. And they go on a wild journey to the Holy Mountain, and they're about to reach 
whatever, you know, enlightenment. And then it just comes back and you see the whole film crew on top of the mountain with them. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like a shaggy dog joke in the end. So I wonder if what, Nolan was... What, what other... Uh, I, I need to watch that, actually. Uh, what other movies do you guys feel have ambiguous endings that kind of stuck with you? If you don't mind um, bringing up I, that topic. Give me a second to think of an example of that. But one which I think should have had an ambiguous ending and didn't um, was the next Nolan film, The Dark Knight Rises. It ends with that bit where Michael Caine sees him in the cafe, right? Yeah. That would have been a much better ending if we'd just seen Alfred and we didn't see Bruce. So we see him ah. sit in the cafe, look, he sees something, he smiles, he has his drink, he gets up and leaves, and we're left wondering, did he see Batman or not? You see the back of his head or something. Yeah, yeah, which I, I almost feel like that's the ending he had in mind in the studio made in Pussyel. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, like 16 been. cuts. There's like 13 cuts of that movie. So yeah, you know. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> when are they going to release the Snyder uh, Cut? That's what I want to know. <laughs> we, <laughs> oh yeah, I had to ask you a few weeks ago because I, I thought the Snyder Cut was a joke. For you know, oh no no oh, no, it's my favorite review of the Snyder Cut announcement was a guy said like, "Oh great, now I get to be completely disappointed in a different way." <laughs> <laughs> um, Luke and I just talked about Total Recall. That has a pretty ambiguous ending. That is a good one. Right. Yeah. That's that's the one, man. Even as a kid, I was just like, what? Oh, shit. <laughs> like, was that a flash of light of, like, glory, or was that lobotomy? Couldn't tell. <laughs> Maybe it's a glorious lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> but stuff like Birdman, I think, had a really uh, ambiguous ending. But I, I'm going outside of sci-fi, but, like, stuff like 2000. Well, 2001, but that's just because it's, you know. 2001. Yeah, <laughs> the whole film is a bit ambiguous as to what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah, I know that as soon as we stop recording, 20 are going to come to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> a good ambiguous ending is always, always fun. Okay, Blade Runner. Yeah, although that's like an ambiguous whole film. Well, it depends on which cut you're watching on well, Blade yeah. Runner, too. <laughs> Some of them are less ambiguous than others. But... Uh... I, I think Inception does it pretty much as well as anything. I, uh, I'll put Total Recall up with it. And yeah, when we were walking into Total Recall, Luke was like, oh, we're kind of doing two dream films back to back, at least recording two dream films back to back. So. Sorry, I just thought, well, I didn't think of it. I just saw it listed. Um, film that we keep bringing up, how we shouldn't bring it up, K-Pax. <laughs> that have ambiguous sign name? Yeah, yeah, because he, he keeps saying he's going to go back to his planet, and at the end he just drops down comatose. Oh, like Sunra, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking that was a good ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Thing. Right, which, we'll, which you haven't seen yet. But so we'll get to it. We'll yeah. to I, unfortunately, I already pretty much know. I don't okay. know the specifics, but I know the general vibe of the ending is supposed to be there. Right. Um, the newer thing, of course, not having... Like, the, <laughs> Listed on this list of ambiguous endings is Titanic. <laughs> yes, technically. Uh, I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what happens after that. Yeah. Ship went down, right? <laughs> But at the end, she like does she die and go to the afterlife with Leonardo DiCaprio, or does she just fantasize about it? She's like ninety five. Yeah, and it's also <laughs> not the point of that film at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's 
like, ma'am, where's the stone? Let me tell you a three-hour story first. <coughs> also, think of what that stone could have done if it had been sold. You know, chucked it in the fucking ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite a notable heirloom by that point. Yeah. Um, Titanic's a big effects movie. This is a big effects movie. Do effects look better than the effects in this movie? Uh, 2001 getting an out on that discussion already. But These are very good effects, yeah. There's one shot which didn't quite do it. You know when the the city's folding? Uh-huh. When they step onto the next they step like up the wall. Right, right. There's a bit where they're just really weirdly superimposed. Oh, is there? Okay. That was the one shot in this whole film where I was like, oh that didn't quite work. I was, Otherwise this film looks phenomenal. I was probably doing Wait. what Nolan wanted you to do on that shot. I think I was looking at their feet. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, was like kind of oh, we talking about sorry, I, I lost track. You were saying it was it was when they're going up the, the wall? Yes. Yeah, Paris. I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. That too. It's just slightly odd, like the way they're cut into the shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. But oh, every film that has good effects, there's one bad effect shot, which is just an actor being in front of the effects. It's like the Navajo blanket has of the flaw in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, things that are amazing. Um, I think this film actually doesn't get its full due for like the amount of vehicular insanity in it. Yeah. There's because there's all the trippy folding and you're trying to keep track and. Well, then you're like, whoa, they're doing some serious car stuff here. I, I actually watched like like an hour-long doc about just the the van going into the water for like, you know, five minutes of screen time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They must have shot that on a ridiculous camera. How much of the train was real? Because that, that, I forgot about the train suddenly going down Main Street and, and taking out all the cars. And I, it looked very real to me. And I know that Nolan has a, a, a you know, he, he's – he tends to like practical effects. Yeah, a lot of the time, even if he won't do a literal stunt, he'll do model work before he'll do CG. I know when the truck gets flipped in The Dark Knight, that was like a, a one one fifteenth whatever model. Oh, okay. oh, wow. So yeah, that, I suspect that was, if not literally real, model oh, work. Oh, no, Probably no, no. The, 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 the truck scene, if I'm correct, I, don't, I, I could be wrong. From reading, uh, the truck scene in Dark Knight was real. They, they did flip a real oh, Okay, maybe it, was, maybe it was just some of the, the Batmobile stunts. But yeah, right. yeah, I know that he will do anything he can to not use computers, basically. But uh, yeah, and I'm looking at some of the behind footage here, and it looks like, yeah, they actually did run a train down the street. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, well, going back to 2001, they built a big revolving set for the um, corridor scene. Where he's jogging along. But eh, that's, that's inspired stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you well, build it, they will come. And yeah, all of that stuff where gravity's going weird looks great. Yeah, maybe that's uh, where, you know, Zendio mentioned the Matrix. That, to me, that, that hallway scene is like, really is the successor to the Matrix. Mm. <laughs> it's just cool. <laughs> yeah, and the train thing was real. They just had it on wheels, obviously, and, and then they uh, took this out with CGI. But you're absolutely right. Um, there's not enough praise sung for that that scene where he's fighting those the the, the henchmen, like where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting off like three guys, and and it just it feels like the whole world is turning. And I watched it again today, and man, I was like, I was still impressed. I think it's the effects are so good that you almost don't notice you're looking at an effect. They kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit there, where like. You're not seeing like a, a robot or a dinosaur or something. You're seeing like, oh yeah, there's a dude and he's fighting the things turning. And it's only when you stop and think like, well, that's insane that they did that. <laughs> but it's not, it's not a showy effect. It's just subtly done 
very impressive effect. You have to kind of think about it. Mm -hmm. One thing, it's not really a complaint about the design, but I feel like we spend quite a bit of this movie like in the video game GoldenEye. <laughs> well, Christopher Nolan, I've, there is no other director who is more desperate to be doing Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he did it, more or less. <laughs> like, like, yeah, there was like a whole like skiing action sequence breaking into a vault is very James Bond. Yeah, I was just waiting for, you know, like a somewhat lowerly rendered uh, odd job to come in and start bashing everyone in the knees, <laughs> shooting them in the knees, whatever he did in that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then he's also got like classy bits in a casino where they're having a shootout, like globe trotting chases. Everyone's in a tux all the time. <laughs> he's this is he's even got like the silenced pistol. It's very Bond. Yeah, it's pretty Bond. <laughs> and then like in a lot, lot of the Batman films, there's always like a big stunt sequence which feels like a Bond audition. Mm. But the, the only I think the problem is Christopher Nolan has become too big to do Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like uh, the, the rumors flying around in the past couple years where Tarantino is going to do Star Trek. It's like, right. I don't know. It's, 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 it might be too big for Trek. That would be interesting to see, though. Uh, and I, yeah, I could see Nolan doing Bond, though. I mean, if someone like Sam Mendes did Bond twice, um, and, you know, this is an Oscar. He's an Oscar winner, right? He did uh, American Beauty and uh, Jarhead and stuff like that. Like, I, I think Nolan could probably pull off a pretty restrained Bond film. But uh, we don't know. I guess the question is, do we want him to? Because uh, Nolan's one of the few filmmakers that shows up with a reasonably original idea, if we, especially if we're not thinking about Uncle Scrooge too hard. Yeah, he does just... He's the one thing, I think, well, at least every three years, something I'm not expecting is going to come out. And a lot of films at the moment are franchises and sequels and remakes and adaptations. And here's Nolan just like, yeah, I've done a weird space thing. Next, I'm doing a weird war thing and I'm doing a time travel thing. So, oh, that, that's part of the fun, Tenna. Um, that's the most I know about it. Yeah. You just said time travel. Well, I didn't even know that. I've watched the trailer. I don't have a clue what that film's about. I don't See, want to. Usually you don't, you don't want to watch trailers, and I do, but right. for Nolan, I kind of don't want to watch the trailer. Well, it, in the past, his trailers have not given away too much. Yeah. Because I, I went in Inception really not having any clue what this film was going to be about, which was kind of groovy. Um, I went into... Interstellar, you know, obviously knowing it's a space movie, but that's about it. So Right. Yeah, Same. yeah. Well, I mean, Dunkirk, because I'm, you know, I did history class in Britain. I knew what Dunkirk was, but um, <laughs> I didn't really know much about that film. And then I, I obviously had no idea it was going to do that weird, simultaneously showing you three events, which is happening over different periods of time thing. <laughs> um, but my main memory of Dunkirk, it came out on the exact same day as Splatoon 2. And I cannot imagine two more different depictions of war. <laughs> Actually, um, no, Dunkirk is... Uh... It was interesting because that was like, oh, this is the best new war film ever. And then suddenly uh, 1917 came out and, and I just kind of forgot about Dunkirk. I never got around to watching that. That's the like one take one, right? Yeah. And that's actually directed by, oh, shit, that's interesting because we were just talking about Bond and it's directed by Sam Mendes, who directed oh. Uh, oh, shit. You know, the last two Bond films. Um, but no, 1917 is, is it's 
wow. It's one of those movies that you, especially you guys, you pay attention to the minutia mm. of, uh, you know, and it, it, the way they cut it to feel like it's just a single shot is, is insane. I was looking, I mean, I was looking, I watched it twice and I was looking for all the spots. I'm like, there's gotta, I'm going to, I'm going to identify where they cut and I couldn't do it. So, I've heard that they actually use a lot of the same tricks that um, video games use to hide loading. Oh. So they'll like they'll squeeze through a very small gap and stuff like that. There were a couple of small scenes like that where they go into a dark room and then you see a light come on. You're like, okay, they did it. But for the most part, when they shot out exterior, you're literally looking at 25, 30 minute takes where I can't, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> also, there's just not that many films about World War One. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Because it's, it's harder to convince everyone you were the good guys in that one. The sequel came too quickly. <laughs> um, dreams. We did a little bit about dreams. What, I was about to go somewhere. Oh, a bit about the music. So you often mention like, oh yeah, the Inception bombs. They're not actually used that much in this film, and they're used for a reason. Yeah, they're used very effectively. Here, it's everyone else using them afterwards. To, like, it's because they put them in the trailer. Yeah. And then for 10 years, every trailer had an Inception bomb. <laughs> and uh, I think we said before, now it's like the tinkly piano. Tinkly sad music. piano music and a silent bit. Yeah. Yeah, the theme that you, that brings that back nostalgia and melancholy yeah. for. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great YouTube clip where someone does the entire Inception uh, trailer, but vocalizing the uh, the music i might i think so, i might have seen that yeah it's it's pretty fantastic but yeah you're right i noticed that it, the uh, the music didn't kick in really with the big bombs they didn't really hit till like at the very end when they're uh, when everything's falling apart well and also at that point it is ah oh shit what's the word it's a it's the music that's current, that's actually in the thing you're watching. Right, you're supposed to be hearing the Edith Piaf song yeah, yeah, being yeah. slowed down. Like the chord is actually from that song, and it's just been slowed down to account for dream. Oh, time. right, right, right. I didn't even think about that. that oh, no, you hear it, and of course, in the top level, and it's it's that same tonality being dropped down a few notches and uh, stretched out. You kind of wish that Edith Piaf is somewhere like watching us and going like, "What this? I didn't." record this so you guys could do this to it <laughs> well I, I think she might be dead <laughs> <laughs> that's what i meant it's just, just like somewhere else going like you guys <laughs> um i do know yeah this is one of the few soundtracks i actually like bothered to get i'm not a big soundtrack guy but uh i, I generally like a hands in my soundtrack yeah this, um, this year was good for soundtracks uh tron legacy was also this year mm. uh say what you will about the movie but the soundtrack's pretty top notch huh. see it, it doesn't feel right to me that inception is 10 years old it feels pretty right that Tron Legacy is 10 years old. I, I mean, it, 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 listening to the soundtrack, I was listening to it last uh, last night and just to kind of get back into the groove. And I was uh, I was going to the fridge about 12.30 to get, you know, a bag of uh, food uh, there to heat up. And, and it felt very dramatic. To, uh, it was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> adventure to get food. Yeah, yeah, you're like reaching in and you're just like... Yep. Oh, there was a bomb. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think loops. I'm trying to remember that word that would have made me sound smart, but I can't remember it. No, oh, okay. It's a new word that makes you sound smart. Dick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> captain, my captain. <laughs> no, there's a word for when the music you're hearing is actually in the thing. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, and now oh I it's... 
No, is it? Uh, no, that's a, that's different. I'm like onomatopoeia. Wait, no. Non-diegetic. <laughs> Di- yeah, oh, diegetic. Diegetic. Oh. Not non-diegetic. Okay, that was almost more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, the bombs are diegetic music because the characters are hearing. Right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, we got there eventually. It's, it's, it's cool. just pre- just pretend I said that ten minutes ago when it was relevant. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'll be. But I was that. just I was putting to Google like. Music that is in the world. Music that is in universe. <laughs> of course, I wasn't getting anything useful. You got the music of the spheres, probably. Basically, yeah. I got like the music that you get if you run background radiation through a sound thing. <laughs> That's pretty interesting too. <laughs> probably sounds like a bomb. Anyone ever listen to like 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 with the sounds of Saturn or whatever? No. Oh, what was it? Like each planet, like some where NASA points something at it and gets a, a, a some kind of sound wave, and it's just some they some are pretty creepy. Saturn was the creepiest, I believe. It's like you can listen to NASA's sound of Saturn. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were just going to give me some more sunra. That's cool too. That's some more Saturn. No, each planet, it's music of the spheres, and some of it's quite ugly. Okay. <laughs> uh, back to Inception music. We did that. <laughs> um. Man, I'm, I'm having a brain fart. Oh, yes, I want to get down to the limbo, the deepest level. Hmm. They decided to build Mega City 1 for themselves, did they? Well, they're just big architecture nerds, so they like building buildings. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. If I'm in the lowest dream level for 50 years, I'm not sure I'm going to make an urban hellscape. Or I'm not just going to keep making that. <laughs> it, they, they didn't make anything that, like, whack. Which just goes back to the thing. Nolan tried to create like this super trippy dream world that it's all so gray. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one thing when I think that it's Ellen Page is walking around at the end and she's like, oh, you did this? Oh, you did all this? Oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, it's, they just did copy and paste for 50 years. Like, it's not really that, that impressive. Yeah, I want to see like, like Dr. Seuss stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want it to go like real, like big, colorful, mad, impossible architecture, alien world stuff. Well, I yeah, mean, it was this, the same tower like over and over and over again. It just, and like you said, it looked very gray and drab. Like, here's one street where we built slightly more interesting buildings. Right. <laughs> but I guess the other thing is, she was trying to convince herself it was real. So, if you were being generous, you'd say that's why it looks so boring. She was trying to create the real uh, world. Okay. Maybe over there we built our, our Wobulus Land of Seuss, and over here it's kind of utilitarian um, East Berlin looking stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we never. We never really got anything that whack in any of the dreams, and yeah. that's the biggest disappointment of this. Well, story. at least what did Watanabe do, or Saito, I guess I should say? He, he built himself like an awesome little, what, you know, like old school. Like pagoda building. Of right. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was hip. You'd think they'd want to have a little bit better decor for the 50 years. So, I don't know, Saito did it better. He had people like, you know, um, serving him. and Maybe it's just the Cobb and Mao are real boring people. <laughs> <laughs> He's only interesting in this movie because he had 50 years to think about what he about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's I actually really liked. Like uh, so I was going to say I really liked Saito's room, the one where they bring him in at the very beginning and they they do the uh, the, the the kitchen, not the kitchen, but the oh, dining the, room. the little love shack. <laughs> well, though the actual room with like the tiles, the way it was designed, I was just like, holy shit! I would if I had the money, I would I would do a, a whole room just like that for no reason. Yeah. So Saito's more fun in the end. Well, there's yeah. also the bit what. Um, Eames is like, oh, you've got to dream bigger, darling. And it's, it's just a bigger gun. 
Why did he have like a dinosaur or like a laser beam or something? <laughs> no, because they have like they're like letting velociraptors out of their arms to go take on the, yeah. the dream cops. That'd be cool. Just does like a big Hadouken. I'll get into Ready Player One territory there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the part of the film where I was like, okay, they could go one of two ways because he did say dream bigger, and then there's this massive grenade launcher in his hand and i'm like well this is where it could go completely off the rails and they could just come up with what random shit the first thing that comes to your mind you know kind of like the stay puff marshmallow man theory where the first thing that pops in your head it's just there but they they restrained it so it's a very interesting choice you know one of my i had a i have had a, i've had a few lucid dreams right and one of them i do remember people chasing me it was already lucid i was like oh, i don't want to actually kill them so i i, I went doctor strange on them okay that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> send them to a different dimension but don't hurt them right <laughs> but, i mean the doctor strange movie fully ripped off this film's aesthetic yeah <laughs> i mean at the end you get the cool like jack kirby stuff but well they threw in all the color though that helps yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, the first part where just in london it is just boring european city twisting we'll see what, we'll see what sam raimi does <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> since he's if, he's if he's allowed to sam raimi or if he's just going to get new like all the other marvel directors yeah <laughs> If we still make movies, that is. <laughs> well, when we're doing Sam Raimi's doing hand shadow puppets on the wall for us in the aftertimes. Then. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Come see a great director doing shadow puppets on the wall because there are no more film projectors at work. Yeah. <laughs> so we hide in the cave from the Trump bots or the Biden core or whatever is coming after us at this point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, does it? I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I, when I saw Inception, it actually was on film. Yes, I saw Inception. It was on, like, film. Mm. What's, does, do you guys remember, like, the last movie you saw that was definitely on film? Oh, man. Um... I have an answer myself. I, I just, because I... Was Fury Road on film? No, uh, that seems was. I, I don't know where you saw it, so maybe. But right. the last one I saw, because I really noticed, because it had been a few months, I'd already been seeing digital pro uh, projections. But uh, Expendables 2. Oh, you've told me that before, yeah. Yeah, that's the last one that I was like, oh, it's got the cigarette. I'm guessing it would just be whatever I last saw of the crappy little cinema in my hometown. Yeah, but well, I... They I, definitely did have digital projectors while I was living there. I, I watched it, like, sort of, like, knowing this is probably the last thing I'm going to see on film. And <laughs> Actually, to yeah, I can't it. tell you what it was. Yeah. Transformers 4. <laughs> I saw that one six times. So at least one of them was on film. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I think Star Wars, uh, whether it was The Rise of Skywalker, I think that was shot on 35mm, but don't quote me on that. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about actually being uh, displayed on film. Like you oh, were, displayed on film. Like you, were in the, shit. like you were in the theater and they were playing it on film. Oh, well, then that would be The Hateful Eight, probably, because that was uh, they had to re-outfit the theater with, like, the was it the 70mm uh, projector? And uh, and I could hear it rolling in the background, and it was very, it was it was kind of a very calming sound to hear that thing, you know, going off in the background i mean i understand it's way more practical to do a digital and cheaper and all that but yeah you know, I, I i i'm glad i got to enjoy seeing my last thing on film and seeing this on film was was quite nice mm -hmm. there's uh oh, I was say, there, on film. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a movie called uh or documentary called uh cinephile that that actually is about people who who are obsessed with with everything being projected the right way and, and the right stats and all that stuff. So that's whenever I think of, the, of movies uh, on film, I think of that particular documentary. Well, I know um, in in Athens, Georgia, I think it was the I, I don't know if you got out to Athens that much, but uh, 
there was one theater which was just notorious for having like underpowered projections and you're just watching hazy crap on the screen in front of you. <laughs> I still saw lots of movies there. I saw Spice World there. We had the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we had the Northeast Plaza Cinema 12, if, if you remember that, uh, Matt. Yeah, yeah, of course, and, uh, and, and, the, and the porno theater. Yes. <laughs> well, now, now it's a porno and theater. <laughs> I don't think, I, I don't even think they changed the bulbs in those projectors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were kids, like half of it was showing like porno and the other half was showing like six month old films. If you put your ear to the wall, you might hear a few rivaled sounds. We just had Wells Film Center, and it was smaller than the building that we work in. <laughs> and the owner hated me because I wrote a comedy letter to the local paper saying that because they were not going to play Transformers, I was going to dress up like Rambo and kill him. <laughs> 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 oh, while well, we're on completely absurd topics of that sort, uh, you can you can tell me if this is true or not. In the UK, is there actually like a like a pound store called Pound Town? No, I've seen Pound Land. Oh, okay. I've never seen Pound Town. <laughs> I mean, there definitely is at least one, right? But it's not a chain or anything. Okay. So, okay, Pound. <laughs> Pound Land. Pound Land is the real one. I, that's pretty good too, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Pound Town is much better. Because <laughs> we just have dollars. Pound Land sounds very, very nice though. It's, it's not like I'm going to take you to Pound Town. It's like, I'm going to escort you to Pound Land. <laughs> it's a classy date. <laughs> still ends in pounding. <laughs> I mean, all my dates end in pounding. <laughs> all of them. This same cinema Roma also came and shouted at us during the dark night because we stayed to watch the credits. He's like, "Do you know how much money I waste every year playing this shit?" <laughs> credits? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and he's the same guy. When I wanted to go and watch Gran Torino during the summer, they were like, "Now nah, we haven't sold enough tickets for it to be worth turning on the aircon. So they cancelled <laughs> oh the showing. <laughs> and you kept going. It's the only game in town. Okay. <laughs> I had to take like an hour-long bus to the next, like the big city if I wanted to go to any other theaters. <laughs> London and you want to buy household goods, office supplies, pet food, or toys for the children, then come on down to Pound Town. <laughs> Everything's a pound. You can get pounds for a pound at Pound Town. Why don't you buy a pound for a pound? <laughs> oh, my pounds are worth 10 pounds, but you can buy them for a pound at Pound Town. <laughs> Pretty sure I took my wife there on our first date, so thanks for your business <laughs> but we, we found one that is one pound town <laughs> just one just one there's only one pound town <laughs> i mean you really only need one it's it's always it's always worth the trip <laughs> pound town kingsbury <laughs> where did you find the comments you had a good comment oh yeah the reviews uh, super value great stuff love going to pound town 
nice, <laughs> nice things to buy and reasonable prices. And then you got some jokester called Tobias Funk. <laughs> Lives up to its name, left the store in a wheelchair. There we go. <laughs> wow. That's our, that's our read for today. Yeah, Inception, yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, worth more than a pound, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I had to pay several. I had to pay yen, didn't I? But to see it in the Blu-ray here in Japan. I probably had to pay like 20 quid because I probably had to buy my ticket and my offering. Mm. That's how these dates work sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there I'm sure are. I went to pound town after that. <laughs> <laughs> this and Interstellar are pretty. I think they're the best sci-fi's the past ten years. Yeah. At least definitely uh... the best. Like, I mean, big mainstream cinema. Mm. I'm sure there's been better, like smaller key stuff. But in terms of like the big movies everyone watched. I was I was a big fan of Looper. I think that's one that really blew me out of the water when I saw it. But oh yeah, I, I, meant, I, I meant to ask when we talked about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which came first out of this and Looper. I'm pretty sure Looper was after this. Yeah, 2012. Looper yeah. was after this. And as much as I'm not a big fan of Tom Cruise, I, I thought I really liked Edge of Tomorrow. But uh, but yeah, this was definitely one of the one of the one of the better ones up there. Edge of Tomorrow, I enjoy as just like an action romp. But sorry, we came unplugged. Um. It didn't feel as like smart. It just felt like oh, not at all. No, yeah, no. just you're like right. It was definitely stuff. much sci-fi action. Yeah, you're correct. Because yeah, there's the Martian zero gravity, or, or I guess it's Martian gravity. is like fairly sci-fi, right? It's like we could do this now. We just have I'm putting up the cash. Well, it's still <laughs> fiction made about science. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, and yeah, same with gravity. <clears throat> they're a little. Uh, they're good, but they're a little underwhelming in the end. Yeah, I, gravity. I feel is one that. Because I didn't watch it in a theater, I might as well have not bothered. Mm. <laughs> oh, we can't forget yeah, passengers. Like, yeah. Was, uh, oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's strike that from the record. Uh, go on, please. <laughs> well, there was like an Annihilation, uh, was I thought was pretty decent, and I, I actually watched that. We've been I actually dug Arrival, uh, which is funny because I kept I kept mistaking it for the Charlie Sheen movie, so I kept downloading the wrong version. Uh, <laughs> I, like the and I was Sheen like one. this, yeah. I was like this won an Oscar, uh, and then uh, uh, I thought Blade Runner twenty forty nine was was pretty solid. I thought Blade Runner twenty forty nine was gorgeous. I don't think it had anything to say. Not at all. No, not at all. And that's where Harrison Ford just showed up in his day clothes, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I think he does that in most films. Uh, and then Ex Mach and I remember being a pretty oh, that's a good, good entry. Yeah. Yeah, of course, all the, I guess the scale of this one is so ridiculous. Everything about it's pretty epic. Mm. Even with a relatively tight, well, tightish story, not counting all the weird dream details. Right, yeah. In terms of what's happening in the real world, it's just like six dudes on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. In my plot synopsis, it's just like, they did an elaborate plot involving three levels because that's all that you really need to know. The rest is just spectacle and excitement. Have you guys had dream levels? I've definitely had, I wake up and then I realize I haven't woken up. Yeah. Yeah. Dream within a dream. I've definitely experienced that. I, I often have this happen. Um, you know, my wife's like family house in the Japanese countryside uh, for holiday or whatever. And um you know, I'll wake up, I'll go to the tea room, I'll start having breakfast, and then I'll wake up and I'll go to the tea room and I'll start having breakfast. And I think I went through a loop of that like three times once. I used to get them on the reg where it would be like, I've forgotten my homework or I've forgotten my PE kit or something like that. 
And that was like the only way I remembered it in the real world is that I would always have the dream where I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the dream's for. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I wake up and hurriedly do my homework at 6 a.m. <laughs> On the rare occasions I did it. <laughs> uh, does anyone have a, like a final like mind blower about Inception? Yeah, it came out in 2010. It's 10 years old. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they don't make them like they um, do. The, the most striking thing about that movie is uh, Ellen Page came out as, as being a lesbian, I think, uh, many years after the movie. But when you see her kiss Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it, it, I kind of laughed because there's just nothing there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was, that was the point of the scene as well, though. Oh, well, no, I mean, I, I just, because at the end of that scene, you see they kind of like directed her to have a little coy smile, like, I enjoyed that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you, you did. <laughs> she, she was good at doing the little coy smile, but yeah, you felt absolutely <laughs> nothing in that kiss. <laughs> but it then, like, nice Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in this is like, he is the most boring man in the world. <laughs> like doing amazing things yeah but like they're always making fun of him just being like the guy with no imagination yeah i just like how like prosaic he is about like tying everyone up yeah, in the yeah, elevator. yeah it's just a job for him yeah <laughs> i mean it's great it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah and i'm not knocking it Another but also idea. like if i was gonna fancy one of them between like him and tom hardy and caprio it's not gonna be him <laughs> <laughs> i was like you know tom hardy's a dish <laughs> I got a hardy for hardy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we're going to wind down on that. Uh, San Antonio, you want to hit them up with uh, where folks may find you on the, the internet or so forth? Uh, sure, sure. Um, it, uh, you can find my work at skwppv.com. That's for pay-per-view, and that's where we have uh, most of our, our pretty PG-13 stuff. If you want to see the stuff that's a little racier, uh, <laughs> you can go to a company called sensuallysavageproductions.com, and that's uh, – I mean, we, we don't do full nude, but we definitely do stuff that's a little, you know, it's a little kinkier, but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I hope you guys find something there that you want to see. Okay. And as for us, we live at... Don, you can do it. We live at Twitter. MLSFS. I can't spell. You can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. If you want to find us on Facebook, just search Matt and Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Go on iTunes, give us a rating and review. Apparently that helps. I don't really give a shit. Um, you can send us a tweet or a message and tell us you're listening. That'd be nice. Or just keep listening, whatevs. We're going to do this either way. It's fun. Um, so I don't really care. <laughs> Luke loves PKMN. Yes. I can, can handle find, that one. You can find my other podcast, at Luke loves PKMN on Twitter. That's my podcast, Luke loves Pokemon. It's nothing like this podcast. <laughs> oh, I do have I do have a podcast that's nothing like this one. It is called it's called Wrestling with Fetish, uh, and you can find it pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. And uh, if you want to give that a listen, it's it's uh, it's almost as good as this podcast. So I did flash it to Luke. I, I said we're talking to this guy. He was like, Oh yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, you didn't give me enough time to scroll through and see if I knew any of the guests. But now I've been reminded. Of <laughs> You'll have to check then, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, this, uh, again, Santiago, thank you very much for coming in and having a chat with us. Uh, you're late evening, middle of the night, I guess. No worries. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're yeah, you going? and the listeners at home should wake up. This is all a dream. It's not real.
Oh, they such a missed opportunity. What? The town town. All right. I, like I said, I'm sure there is one, right? <laughs> I put pound down into Google to see what we get. That's dangerous. I know. <laughs> I've gone on maps. <laughs> also, Google won't show you dirty stuff unless you tell it to these days. Unless you put in the name of literally any anime character. <laughs> you got to be careful with the work. <laughs> oh, who's your favorite character? Oh, this female character. Oh, okay, let's get a picture of her. So Whoa! <laughs> okay, I'm not going to scroll down that far. <laughs> I wanted a picture of her with her kimono on. <laughs> Is that London? Okay, there the oh, no. Yep, there you go. Town town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a suburb of London? Uh it's in Kingsbury. Okay. <laughs> town town. Try it, you will like it. <laughs> it's like you, you should start you should start the segment with like a what like a show read for Town Town, even though they're not somewhere that's on that. Super value, great staff. Love going to Pound Town. The place was good, but there was not enough space between the aisle for buggy. Otherwise, good selection of items. Nice things to buy, reasonable prices. It's all a pound, is it? Lives up to its name. Left the store in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> the best. I was actually going to save asking you that until we got to idiocracy, but I just couldn't help it. I had to ask about Pound Town. <laughs> It looks like there's just one in the whole of the UK, though. I know, that's even better. <laughs> well, no, it should be the chain, but... 